Lord, we thank you that uh, you are uh, the Lord that we need. Uh, we thank you that you come into the midst of our lives uh, and you show us your vision, your reality, that you invite us to something greater than we would think of for ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us, but that you call us to yourself and call us to your mission. We pray that we become clearer this morning as we open up this account from Luke. And we pray, Lord, that we would follow you and worship you with great joy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. And you can turn in your Bibles or bulletins to Luke 24. Verses 36 through 53. Did anyone catch the Aaron Water Show this weekend? Um, we might be catching it during the worship service. We'll see. Um, the highlight of the Aaron Water Show for me is the Blue Angels. You're familiar with the Blue Angels? They fly with a trademark yellow and blue uh, F 18 jets flying at 400 miles an hour within inches of each other doing aerial maneuvers unknown to man. This week, I learned that the Blue Angels actually have a very clear mission statement. They have a very clear purpose, and it's this. The mission of the Blue, Angel, the Blue Angels is to showcase the teamwork and professionalism of the United States Navy and Marine Corps through flight demonstrations and community outreach while inspiring a culture of excellence and service to country. That's an inspiring mission. And it's interesting to me that the entire purpose of the Blue Angels as a flight squad is to showcase something greater than themselves. That's their purpose. When you see the Blue Angels flying through the skies of Chicago um, with precision and skill, they're actually a living, flying symbol of the 800,000 men uh, and women serving in the Navy and the Marine Corps. They're trying to show you the professionalism and teamwork and skill and dedication of all of the rest of the people, these dozen or so pilots. Now, this requires everything they have. If they're going to fulfill that mission, it's going to call out the best in them. If they're going to be a living symbol of all of the other people that they serve with, they've got to make high-stakes decisions. They've got to practice trust and teamwork not to mention the skill of flying the plane. They're going to have to have communication at the highest levels. And more than anything else, they need alignment around a higher call. This is not just about a cool air show. We need alignment that we are a living symbol of the 800,000 others. And everything we do reflects on them. Now, the reason our church exists is to lift high the Son of God in the city of Chicago that all would be drawn to him. Our mission as a church is actually to be a spiritual beacon church that makes the gospel of Jesus tangible and personal and visible for the people of our city. So it's one thing for the Blue Angels to display the teamwork of the Navy to the city of Chicago for one weekend out of the year. It's another thing for Emmanuel Anglican Church, you and me, real people, to display the power and mercy and glory of Jesus Christ to our city all year around, not just on one weekend. This is such a privilege 
to lift high the Son of God in the city of Chicago, that people would be drawn to him to do that in formation together, to do that with teamwork and skill, the best of us being called out. This is going to challenge us to greater levels of commitment and trust and communication and devotion to display Jesus, to display his kingdom, and to do so together is a high honor with high stakes. So we need to be fully aligned with him. And sometimes we're not. Sometimes the people who have been with Jesus the longest are the most out of alignment with him. And we see that in our gospel text today. We find Jesus' disciples. They've lived with him for three years They've been taught by him. They've walked with him. And yet, after his resurrection, they're confused, they're anxious, and they're adrift. Now, by grace, Jesus is going to to lovingly find them where they are and bring them back into alignment in three important ways. And we're going to pray that he just does the same thing for us, no matter where we are at. So, um, looking together in Luke 24... The first way that Jesus is going to call his disciples and us into alignment is into alignment with his living reality, the living reality of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 36 of our text. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit better translated, thought they saw a ghost. Okay, where are we at here? Jesus has already been crucified, and he's already done something no one else has done in all of human history, which is to be raised to life after he was crucified, never to die again. Okay, this is the best news in the world. He has actually defeated death. He's, he's alive. He's the most alive any human being has ever been in all of human history. And he's bringing life. He's speaking life. He's calling people to life. He's overcome the curse of sin. He's made everything sad come untrue, but the disciples don't believe it. They're confused. They're disillusioned. You just look at these two verses, right? Just All you have to do is look at verses 36 and 37, and you can see the lack of alignment, right? Between the living reality of Jesus and where his disciples are at in their heads and in their hearts. And do you see the desolation as you look at these verses? Can you see the desolation that that misalignment brings? Um, That's what Jesus came to heal. That's what Jesus came to, to, to bring hope into is that desolation from a lack of alignment around who Jesus actually is. Verse 38, and Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? I read a translation of this verse this week, which captures it this way. Don't let all these doubting questions take over. Doubting questions have a way, don't they, of taking over the haze and the fog of doubting questions about the living reality of Jesus can so blind our eyes to his glory that we can't see the living Lord in front of us. But Jesus is not going to let that happen. Verse 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. 
touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and, and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still, okay, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, better translated in our day, tripping, they were tripping. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it right in front of their faces. He ate it right in front of them. Okay, so there's a huge contrast here between the Jesus in their heads and the Jesus as he is. Can you see it? The Jesus in their heads and the Jesus as he is, there's this huge contrast here. The Jesus in their heads is a dead man. But the Jesus as he is, is alive, as alive as any human being has ever been. He is life itself. Okay? The Jesus in their heads is a ghost who's come to scare them. The Jesus as he is has flesh and blood eats fish, and he's come to bring peace to them, not scare them. Have you ever projected upon Jesus Christ something that does not match up with the reality of who he actually is? I've done this plenty throughout my life. Maybe you have too. See, if we're not careful, there's a Jesus in our heads that emerges, and it's this crazy composite of what we love or what we hate, ourselves or our parents, our role models, our culture, our subculture. This composite forms. We don't even know what's happening. Meanwhile, the living Lord in front of us is completely different than how we believed he actually is. The Jesus Christ of the scriptures, who is brilliant and crucified and glorified, who is the Lord over heaven and earth. But we think that he's a benevolent, rich uncle who just gives us whatever we want. Or the nagging probation officer who's always kind of disappointed and suspicious of us. Or the smiling philosopher who just wants us to love the world. Now, the gap between the Jesus in our heads and the Jesus as he is can widen over time. When we stop reading what Jesus actually did when we stop paying attention to what Jesus actually taught, especially when we stop obeying what Jesus actually commanded. He even said this. He said, you're my friends if you do what I say. You'll actually know me like a friend if you do what I say. We begin to project our fears and desires and ideals onto him, and the bigger the gap, the bigger the desolation. Eventually, what happens is that the Jesus in our heads becomes an idol that we would prefer to the real Jesus who is breathing and living and speaking and calling us out like he did with the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. I love how Jesus addresses this. He just appears right in front of them. He's just like, hey, I'm here. Guess what? Let's get into this. Am I a ghost or am I real? And he closes the gap, all right? It's a little bit of a rude awakening. It's a little bit of a shock. He's not intending for it to be a shock for shock's sake. He wants to give way to joy. Can you see in verse 41? They're still disbelieving, but it's for joy. They can barely believe it. 
Verse 52 talks about worshiping him with great joy, worshiping God with great joy. The initial shock of seeing the real living Christ always brings joy if we let it. That's what he wants for us. He's come to bring us into his reality, which is suffused with overflowing peace and overflowing joy. If we are to make Jesus personal and visible in our city, we must stay and get in close, close alignment with him, with who he actually is, with the living, resurrected reality of him. He speaks to us in the scriptures and through the scriptures. We got to listen to him. He draws near using the means of grace, word and sacrament, worship and prayer, community and mission. So let us draw near to him through these means of grace, which are available to him, just like his physical body was available to his disciples. Don't let all these doubting questions take over. Don't let the haze of spiritual and emotional confusion keep you, keep us from seeing him and seeking him. He is a living person and he will still come to bring us joy as we come into alignment with his living reality. That's one of the most important, really it's the foundational way. We need to be in alignment with the Lord if we're going to represent him. But secondly, we need alignment with our high calling from Jesus. We need alignment with our high calling from Jesus. This summer, my wife, Laura, heard about a company uh, named Caring Transitions. Caring Transitions. Caring Transitions uh, comes alongside people who are going through a major life transition, and they help them actually downsize their stuff um, so that they can, in many cases, move into assisted living, sell their house, but keep the things that are really precious and valuable. And so Caring Transitions has this really high calling to bring together practicality and compassion for people who are really suffering and need help. And so when Laura heard about this company, she thought, I want to be a part of this high calling. Like, that's what she loves to do. She loves to bring together practicality and compassion. And so she contacted this company. She turned in her resume. She said, I want to work for you. And uh, we'll see what happens. So a day goes by, nothing. Another day goes by, nothing. The next day, the next day, it was over a week, nothing from Caring Transitions. And there was this question of like, do they want me for their high calling? And then eventually she got an interview. And I remember getting the text from her that day, I got the job. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to know something. Jesus Christ has a high calling for you. And you got the job. Together, you and I have been selected. If we're in Jesus, we have been selected for a compelling mission from Jesus that's going to make a real difference in the lives of people, in our life and in our city and in our families. This mission actually has been foretold for thousands of years. It's been prophesied. And Jesus, in fact, describes it in verse 44 onwards. Then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now, this is where a lot of us think the prophecies end. Like, you know, the scriptures foretold Jesus and Jesus came to fulfill those through his death and resurrection. And so, you know, and that's great. And then what happens is that the professionals take it from there. But that's actually not what Jesus says here. Um, The job's not done. The curtain doesn't come down. There's an and in verse 47. Do you notice the and in verse 47? That the sent, he doesn't end the sentence that it was foretold that Jesus would do these things. There's an and because the prophecies has, have not yet been fulfilled. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. All people around the world need to know what's available to them, which is an opportunity to repent and have their sins forgiven. And Jesus is saying that there are people that the scriptures foretold will carry this message of forgiveness and repentance, getting right with Jesus Christ and for their whole lives to be made new. They can be set free from curses and grudges and transformed from top to bottom. They need to know, people around the world, all nations need to know that they have a father in God, a brother in Jesus Christ, and a mother in in the church, but someone who already has these things needs to tell them. You are witnesses of these things, he says in verse 48. You are witnesses. You're in this. You got the job. It's not a job for the professionals. Every follower of Jesus has a high calling of bearing humble witness to Jesus Christ who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. We are, it's who we are, tangible, visible, personal witnesses of Jesus Christ. Moses foresaw this when he wrote down to God's promise to Abram that we read in Genesis 12 this morning. Go from your country and your kindred and your fathers. Go, go, I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isaiah foresaw this when he said, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. And the psalmist foresaw this when he wrote, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be made known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. They weren't just speaking about Jesus. They were speaking about you, and they were speaking about me. God will shine on us, and he will send us with a message of his peace and forgiveness and glory to people who do not yet know, do not yet believe, or no longer believe. It sounds exciting. It sounds overwhelming. Most of us feel like we don't have what it takes to do this. And thankfully, we don't have to rely on our human power, human efforts. God will give us power to do this in verse 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So the Holy Spirit is this promise of the father sent from Jesus 
to empower witnesses to fulfill their high calling. And he is a very precious gift. When the Holy Spirit alights on us, do you know what happens? Our gifts get activated. The gifts God has given you get activated um, and uh, also coordinated. God has brought us together as a church, but our gifts not only need to be activated, but as coordinated as the pilots of the blue angels so that we can actually fly in formation together and bear witness together. I saw this in action uh, this past March during our pilgrimage to Teze in France. Um, the first night that we were um, staying in France, our team stayed at a hostel. And um, a hostel is like a very, very, very budget version of a hotel. Um, and, um, but they had a uh, breakfast available for anyone who stayed. And so the next morning, we're um, a bit jet lagged. We're having breakfast. And about eight of us or so were sitting having breakfast. And it was just us plus one young man who we have not met yet. He was eating silently. We were kind of mumbling. It was early in the morning. And he, but he looked sad. He looked uh, burdened, in fact. And the Holy Spirit actually moved in one of our members to begin to talk to him and begin what was an awkward conversation because he spoke very little English. And so um, as it happened, though, two members of our little group happened to speak Russian, which he also spoke. And so they began to translate. One began to converse with him. The other one began to translate the conversation for the rest of our team. And as we listened to him, we uh, learned that his name was Sergei, that he was from Kiev, Ukraine, and the war had just started in, in Ukraine, that the invasion of Russia had just started, and he was utterly devastated. His home was destroyed. The land that they had was taken. Um, his family was devastated. Their life savings gone up in flames, um, utter destruction in his home city. And so the Holy Spirit began to move in other people within our group. And some people shed tears alongside him. Other people asked questions. Uh, we began to get to know more and more of his story. Um, the Holy Spirit moved in one of the members of our team to actually lead in prayer for Sergei, lead in prayer for his family and for Ukraine. And another member who had the gift of hospitality began to collect euros under the table, like a, like a GoFundMe campaign, old school. We've been like, like getting our spending euros out and making a little stack for him. And then like at the end of the prayer, we're like, here you go, buddy. And he's like not taking it. And we're like, but it's eight against one. We prevailed. And he just couldn't believe it. He got on the phone with his family, and, and they couldn't believe it. He's like, my entire family can't believe that you would just help a perfect stranger. And we just said, well, this is Jesus' heart for you. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about your family. He cares about your life. You know, in that moment, we were like the blue angels. We were flying in formation together, all of us contributing different gifts that we had. None of us were perfect. None of us had arrived. Nevertheless, we were symbolizing Jesus' heart for Sergei and what Jesus would do for him if he were physically with Sergei. Because that's what Jesus wants to do through his church. He wants to alight upon us, activate our gifts, make us a living symbol of what he would do, what he would say, how he would heal. Can you imagine us doing that together? The Holy Spirit alighting upon our church 
flying in formation together, risking together, loving together, sacrificing together, in complete alignment with our Savior, it would be so beautiful and compelling to do this together. We don't have to go all the way to a hostel in North Paris to do this. We can do it right here, right here in our city. Most of the time, it will be in city groups, living rooms, dinner tables. That's where where we're going to fly in formation together most of the time. That's where we're going to bear humble witness together. Now, in order to fulfill this high calling from Jesus, not only do we need to be in living alignment with him and his living reality, not only with his high calling that he has given to us, but we've got to be in alignment under the blessing that Jesus offers us, the great blessing that Jesus offers to you and me. Verse 50, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. Um, And so this is on a mountain not far from Jerusalem. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Jesus is blessing his disciples, which is an impartation of his love, his power, his commendation. He's putting it deep inside of them until they begin to overflow with joy. Do you see their overflow as they worship him in the temple, as they give thanks with great joy? He's imparting something very deep to them until they overflow with it. Now, uh, a blessing says, a blessing communicates in a nonverbal way, your life matters. You are loved. I delight in you. I respect you. Your contribution is good and needed. And here's how blessings work. If you haven't received a blessing, you're going to have a vacuum in your soul, and you're going to look for it in all the wrong places. And unscrupulous people who have no business blessing you will fill that vacuum so that they can have some influence and control in your life and get something from you. Jesus had received a blessing from the Father. When he was baptized, the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And do you know that Jesus operated in that blessing his entire life, his entire ministry? He refers to it his entire life in ministry. Um, And it also, it gave him a backbone. Do you notice how the blessing Jesus carried inside of him gave him a backbone? There were curses that he didn't fear. There were flatteries that he didn't pay attention to. That blessing propelled him into the desert where he contended with the devil and his temptations and his threats. That blessing propelled him into conflict with religious leaders who did not like his message or his life. He did not seek the glory that comes from people, the Gospel of John says, for he knew what was in the heart of people. So the Father's blessing gave Jesus tremendous freedom to operate independently of other people's carrots and sticks. So many people try to make Jesus conform And each time, because of that backbone, he stood upright in the Father's blessing. Not against them. Actually, he was doing it for them. And now, what do we see? He's imparting the blessing and the backbone that comes with it to his disciples. Go in my name, we can hear him saying. 
I love you. I am well pleased with you. You make me proud. You are my ambassadors. You'll do even greater works than I've done. I commission you. I am with you. And soon you will hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so with that blessing, the disciples could stand upright in their calling and worship God in response and go to the nations and die as witnesses, otherwise translated martyrs, in Jesus' name and without fear. The disciples basked in that blessing. It gave them strength to face rejection from people as they went about fulfilling their calling. That blessing and the backbone that comes with it is our inheritance from Jesus. Are we in alignment with it? Do you want this blessing? Do you want to bask in this blessing if it was given to you? Would you spend years mastering this blessing? internalizing this blessing, living from the strength of this blessing. Here are some questions that we can ask ourselves as we consider the blessing of Jesus and how aligned we are with it. Is there any gap at all between how you act on Sundays and with people from church and how you carry yourself the rest of the week? And if there is a gap, why is there a gap? Whom are you trying to please or fit in with? To whom have you or I given power to make us feel special and unique? To whom have you or I given power to make us feel insignificant or rejected? How much can you resist someone else's flatteries or threats, however subtle, And would you or I be willing to seek Jesus and his calling if it earned us eye rolls and contempt and the subtlest of rejections from the inner ring in response? I recently took my son Sam to a flight event uh, for an organization called Young Eagles. And uh, most of the planes on that day were Cessnas uh, with, with, with an engine, with propeller and everything. But one of the planes was what's known as a glider plane. And the glider plane has no engine and no propeller. So once it was in the air, the plane was beholden to the wind patterns. Um, And it was just really interesting because glider planes, they're wonderful, they're great. But one way to look at them is they're a little bit of a picture of what life is like if we are not in alignment with the blessing of Jesus. Because it floats and it drifts and it is beholden to the winds of the day and the winds of other people's blessing or cursing. So when you're flying a glider plane, you can't fly with the same power if you have a propeller. And we need the blessing if we're going to fly with our Lord Jesus and fly in formation. Do you want the blessing of Jesus? Ask him for it. Seek the blessing. Spend focused energy taking it in and exercising it. This blessing is available by grace and through the church. Jesus gave it to his disciples. His disciples gave it to the people that they shared Jesus with. And on and on into our day, it is imparted through the people of Jesus who who have already received his blessing in their own imperfect way. And they offer it together. The community of saints offers you a blessing that can be a backbone for you to follow Jesus and be in alignment with him. 
Now, if you've already received this blessing and you know who you are, you've received a blessing, you know your contribution matters, you know your life matters, um, it is a, a wonderful thing and a needed thing for you to pass on the blessing to the next generation. We need, as a people, to bless the next generation and tell them that they are loved, valued, their contribution matters, their life matters. For us to impart our very lives to the next generation. Um, and if you know you need it, seek out, seek out the blessing, not just from one person, but from a community of people. Could start with a prayer minister on a Sunday, but on from there, find the people who operate in and walk in the blessing of Jesus and seek it for your own life. Don't push it away when they offer it to you. Some of you know that in the next few months, we are going to be moving out of this building into, our new, into our, the temple where we are called to worship Jesus Christ. And we're looking to God to show us the way. Our lease is up, this building is for sale, and the Lord is moving us along. We're going to a place yet unknown. Um, and this is part of God's call on our life and on our church. Our new location, though unknown today, is going to be significant part of the next uh, part of our call in God to lift high the Son of God in the city of Chicago that all would be drawn to him. Here's what I want to say to you about this. God can do it. We've seen him do it before. I have great confidence he'll do it again. He can consecrate a spiritual beacon building for us, and we should pray for that. But today, here's where we start. We ask that God would consecrate us to be his temple. That's where it begins. That's the soul of our church is when we have been set apart to follow Jesus Christ and fly in formation to represent him. We should pray that the Lord gives us the power to be in alignment with his living reality, with his high calling, and with his blessing. We are called to fly in formation together, but we must be in alignment first. So let us pray that he would help us. So as we end, ask yourself these questions of yourself and of your community. Are we, are we in alignment with the living reality of Jesus, or have we let doubts and projections take over? Are we in alignment with the high calling from Jesus? This ennobling call to bless the nations through uh, proclaiming and living and representing Jesus in his name. Or have we farmed that out to the professionals? Are we living under the alignment of the blessing of Jesus? Or are we seeking the blessing of our peers and our heroes and treasuring the glory that comes from men and women rather than the glory that comes from God? May the Lord help us get in alignment with him so that we can together fly in formation and lift high the son of God in the city of Chicago that all would be drawn to him. Let's now pray together. I invite you to stand. Almighty God, you sent your son Jesus Christ to reconcile the world to yourself. We praise and bless you for those whom you have sent in the power of the spirit to preach the gospel to all nations. Send us now to bear witness to your name that in our own city of Chicago, people may confess you as Lord and call upon your name for the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.